Hello, my name's Dr. Neil Stanley. I'm an independent sleep expert who's been involved in sleep search and sleep medicine for the last 37 years, and I'm on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve is the uh, monetization of sleep by the sleep industry. The apps, the wonder mattresses, the, the wonder devices, it's about making money out of you. It's not about helping you sleep. And we need to remember that sleep should be the easiest, most natural thing in the world to do. We don't need to spend money on getting a good night's sleep. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Hey, what's going on out there? It's Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic, big mouth pharmacist, friend to animal big and small. Happy to be back with you wonderful people, filling your brains with some no-nonsense, no-BS health and wellness information. Check out our Facebook page, The Big Mouth Pharmacist, as well as our Twitter, which I'm trying to like learn how to use correctly. My username over there is at BigMouthRPH. If you want to reach me, visit WoodstockVitamins.com or email podcast at WoodstockVitamins.com today. Today's episode is exceptional. I somehow convinced a renowned sleep specialist to have a conversation with me about sleep myths and misinformation, and boy, did he deliver. Let's talk about Dr. Neil Stanley. He's an independent sleep expert with over 37 years experience in sleep research. He's published almost 40 studies on various aspects of sleep, including medications and even psychopharmacology. He's author of the book, How to Sleep Well, and has had a million billion media appearances in his home country of the UK and internationally as well, because he's the expert and he's got a great ability to demystify all the stuff around sleep. So let's get right into it. I give you Dr. Neil Stanley. First off, I'm glad that us Neils could stick together because I think there's not a lot of that anymore, you know? This is a very rare name these days, unfortunately. You're actually the third Neil on the podcast. I'm the first, of course, but the other one uh, has a little bit to do with sleep. He was uh, He's the rock doc, Neil Ratner. And I don't know if you're aware of this gentleman, but uh, he was the guy that came up with uh, of, among other things, he came up with that regimen that uh, Michael Jackson used to go to sleep at night. Oh, right, yeah, fall. yeah. So uh, he wasn't the guy that killed him, of course. He, he was <laughs> out of the picture by by then, but uh, he he definitely uh, was the originator of that. So he's a sleep guy too, right? And we're all Neil. So anyway, away from the Neil thing, because I'm going a little nuts with it. The best picture I think I've ever seen related to a guest is what's on your homepage right now. <laughs> And for the people that haven't checked out uh, sleepconsultancy.com, you should check it out. But it is somebody reading Dr. Stanley's book, and they're only a few pages into it, and they're they're kind of crashing out already and sleeping. So I think that's a brilliant piece of marketing. Well, I wish it was marketing. That's that's the thing. Uh, I knew nothing about it. Uh, Somebody just sent it to me saying, I've seen this on, on, you know, the social media, and I I knew nothing about it. Uh, I rang up my publishers and said, you're, you know, you're, marketing team's a bit rubbish because that's a brilliant <laughs> idea and why didn't you come up with it right um uh, but no i still to this day i have no idea who she is i know she's on a london tube i know it's five to six in the evening uh but other than that it's as you say i wish it was marketing i wish i was clever enough to have come up with it Right, because we would have been on to great and wonderful things from there. So, yes. So, uh, we're here. We're going to talk about sleep because that's your expertise. And I am a holistic pharmacist, of course. And uh, one, probably number two, is that I deal with on a daily basis is sleep. The first one, of course, is my gut is messed up and I can't poop because that's the problem with everybody. But the, uh, the second thing is I can't sleep at night. So, let's talk about sleep as a problem. Is this a, as big of a problem as I think it is in my little bubble? I think it is a problem. There's many reasons for this. Um, Some that we can do something about and others perhaps that we can't do something about. Sleep is is the flavor of the month. And it is, you know, the thing that we're all talking about. Four or five years ago, it was mindfulness. Everybody was talking about mindfulness. (laughs) Now we're talking about sleep. And with the World Health Organization saying that burnout is now a medical condition, I confidently predict that in three or four years time, 
everybody will be talking about burnout and having their their you know quack remedies for burnout. Um, and so what the problem is that uh, you know there's people like myself who've been in the sleep field for 37 years, and there's a lot of people who've jumped on the bandwagon and. We've we've started talking about sleep. We can't escape it. I mean, I, when I used to do media back in the 90s, I mean, maybe I'd got one or two phone calls a year from the press. Now it's one or two phone calls a day. Everybody's talking about sleep. And wow. we think that we're raising awareness of sleep, but actually what we're doing is we're scaring people um, into thinking about sleep yeah, and, and worrying about their sleep. Um and this is the thing, you know, people and this coupled with technology apps and trackers, which are hugely inaccurate, but they're causing people to become obsessed with their sleep. Right. And making it so they can't sleep at night. Absolutely. And, and this this goes back. There's a paper written in 1916, so 103 years ago, saying the biggest cause of insomnia in this day and age is being told you'll go mad or die if you don't get a good night's sleep and you know the biggest selling sleep book ever uh, came out a couple of years by professor matthew walker uh, and all the message of that book is basically you'll go mad or die if you don't get a good <laughs> night's sleep um and, and so i think what we're doing is we're, we're, we're trying to make sleep complex we're trying to make it difficult because if you do that then you can sell people something to make it better and there's a very interesting paper that came out just a couple of months ago showing that in america there has been a drop in sleep time since 2003 however that drop has only occurred in the five years since 2012 and of course the data finished in 2017 so the more we talk about sleep the more we engage about sleep the worse people sleep and so yes it's on people's mind people are searching for what is now called orthosomnia the perfect night sleep and let's be honest that's never going to happen and yet we're obsessed about achieving it so you look at your your tracker and you think i've scored 79 79 <laughs> watts i don't actually know but you scored 79 and so oh i've got a problem oh i must you know and 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 oh i didn't i only scored 68 last night oh isn't that terrible and so people are becoming obsessed and the only way you can get a good night's sleep is to have a quiet mind. So if you're obsessing about getting a good night's sleep, the last thing you'll actually ever do is get a good night's sleep. So I think that's the problem. Yes, a lot of people have problems with their sleep, but a lot of people have a problem they've created themselves about their sleep. Out of, out of the gate, great insight and amazing information. I am literally changing the way that I tell people uh, to handle and manage their sleep. The first thing I'm going to tell them is to stop worrying about falling asleep. I think that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And this is, this is the key thing. People, you know, if you ask a good sleeper how they fall asleep, they say, what do you mean? You know, I, I close my eyes and I, I go to sleep. What, you know, how is that difficult? And falling asleep should be as easy as falling off a log. I mean, we've, we, you know, we've been doing it a million years. It shouldn't be that difficult to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. Stop, stop worrying about it. And, and, and as a particular brand of sportswear would say, just do it. Wonderful. Yes. So I want to unpack lots of these different ideas and concepts, especially around the gimmicks and the misinformation and the quackery that's going on around sleep. But first, let's just start at the beginning. What do people need to know about insomnia? That Are there different types? Do I need to have a label for my insomnia? Like, Yeah, I mean, in, insomnia, you know, is a strictly a medical term. Insomnia, you know, has got a, a medical definition of, of it taking you more than 30 minutes minutes to get to sleep the majority of nights or having a sleep efficiency of less than 85 the majority of the nights um, and if you were to uh, strictly to apply that definition you probably maybe find five or ten percent of people have insomnia but insomnia has now become shorthand for just having a poor night's sleep and you know in the in the medical definition insomnia should last for three months before you go to doctors now you know people get upset when they have one bad night's sleep that mm -hmm. they expect to have help and so there are different types of insomnia i mean most people consider insomnia in the in the in their 
sort of mental view as not being able to fall asleep. Um, and this, of course, is, is the, the issue that sleeping tablets would fix. They help you fall asleep. But that's probably only about a third of people with insomnia. Another third of people with insomnia wake up in the middle of the night and find it difficult to go back to sleep. And another third wake up earlier than they intended and again find it go back to sleep. And of course, you can suffer for one or more of, of these, these problems as well. So it's wrong to think of it as just I need something to help me get to sleep. Um, you might need something to keep you asleep or, or to through the night or to stop you waking up early morning. Unfortunately, the common medications we have help you fall asleep, maybe keep you asleep a li little bit longer through the night, but certainly have no effect if you suffer from early morning wakening, unless you go for one of the old style sleeping tablets which will basically knock you out for eight hours and when you wake up in the morning will still be trying to put you to sleep so mm -hmm. so so I say that conception of insomnia and this is this is why we we have a problem with with not having any new medications for insomnia because the definition that we use which is this falling asleep definition comparing it to the traditional sleeping tablets is actually wrong we can't develop drugs that will put you to sleep any quicker because if they put you to sleep any quicker, you wouldn't get up the staircase to bed. Um, <laughs> As so, we say in the store, we say we can go from calm to coma with any of our options. So, you know, wh which way do you want it? Exactly. And this is this is the problem. We don't, you know, we want to, the, the, the perfect hypnotic, the perfect sleeping tablet is still a very, very long way away. But again, it becomes even more confusing. There was a paper from the, the, the group in, in Holland, Us van Sommeren's group, uh, just this year showing that they've identified five different types of personality with regards to insomnia. And what this means is that some people will respond to cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Some mm. people won't. And there's a subcategory that basically the only thing that will really help these people fall asleep because of the way their personality is structured is, uh, is with sleeping tablets. So it's becoming very, very more complex. We can't just say you have insomnia or you have a problem sleeping. Uh, we need to look at the individual and look at what's right with them and what the problem is with that individual and giving them the language to describe that. Because, you know, far too many people say, you know, I didn't have a good night's sleep. And when you say, well, what do you mean by that? They say, no, I just didn't have a good night's sleep. And you think, well, yeah, but that's given me nothing to go on. What? what? Yes. And this is, to say, the paucity of language around sleep uh, causes us to have problems. And so, if we if we just say we've had a bad night's sleep or as say our tracker has told us we only scored 76 what does that mean and how is that going to mean that we can we can do anything about that patient or that person complaining of the problem so i'm hearing you say that there are basically three bins that people can fit into not being able to fall asleep waking up in the middle of the night not being able to fall asleep and getting up too early for what they really want is there a fourth basket of somebody that just isn't sleeping soundly through the night yeah i mean there's the concept of non-refreshing sleep um and actually if 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 you go to germany that is their, their concept, they don't really have insomnia as a concept in Germany. They just have the sort of overarching thing of non-refreshing sleep. So if you go to a German doctor and say, I'm not sleeping well, his first question, and indeed his only question, will be, how do you feel during the day? And if you say, I feel fine during the day, the doctor will say, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't worry about it. Because if, yeah. you've got a, if you've got a poor sleep, you will have daytime consequences. If you feel fine during the day, by definition, you have had good enough sleep. So, yeah, the, the, the non-refreshing sleep. Um, of course, non-refreshing sleep is a problem that you're going to get when you grow older because we start losing that deep restorative sleep. Uh, that's the bit that makes us feel as though we've had a good restful, recuperative night of sleep. And as we get older, we start losing that. So when we get into our 60s, 70s or later, our sleep is going to become less refreshing. Indeed, you know, around the age of you know, 70, you're, you're, you're going to sort of go to bed, you're going to wake up and think, what was the point of that? <laughs> uh, whereas when you were 20, you went to bed, you died for nine hours, you woke up and you felt like you could <laughs> conquer the world. 
uh, as a 53 year old, I can tell you that doesn't happen anymore. Right. I'm starting to feel it too, and I'm approaching only 40, so like, <laughs> I'm starting to feel that. Oh, what the heck did I even do for that period of time besides not get work done? Right. Absolutely. So, um, so the idea of a sleep cycle, because um, I want to talk about that because a lot of people will kind of drag that out in the conversation um, and they'll talk about, oh, well, doesn't this do something to this part of the sleep cycle? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, when we're asleep, we are in two different states of being. We're either in non-rapid eye movement sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. And they're as different from each other as they are from awake. You don't notice that difference because, of course, you're asleep. Non-rapid eye movement sleep is further divided into three stages of sleep, each of increasing depth. So stage one is the lightest stage of sleep, makes up about 3% of the night. And every time you fall asleep, whenever you fall asleep, you'll go through stage one sleep. So it's that sort of sleep you get when your, your head nods when you're sitting in front of your desk or more worryingly when you're driving long distances. Stage two sleep is 50% of the night, and you'd have thought the thing we spend 50% of the night doing would be very important. It probably is. We just don't know why. It is seemingly involved in some degree in memory, but not. it's not its primary role. Stage three sleep is the deep restorative sleep that I mentioned earlier, uh, and stage three is the, the most important part of sleep. So it's involved in memory, in learning, and in growth. So that's the restorative part of sleep. And then you have REM sleep, which makes up about 25% of the night. And this is when you have your long story-like dreams. So essentially, within 20 minutes of you switching the light off, you should fall asleep, all things being equal. You'll then go through stage one and stage two sleep quite quickly and into your first period of deep sleep. And that for most adults, should be quite a consolidated period of deep sleep. And then after 70 to 120 minutes, you'll have your first REM period. You'll then go back into a period of deep sleep. And then on a roughly 90-minute cycle, you will have your REM periods. Although the latter part of the night, you're going to be spending cycling between REM sleep and stage two sleep. So it is true that we have sleep cycles. What is completely false is that one these are in 90 minutes they're not mm -hmm. uh, the first paper that identified um, sleep cycles back in 1968 described them as being anywhere from 32 to 174 minutes okay they uh, they vary according to night they vary according to person um, and, you know, it is you, you see that graph of, of, of the sleep stages, which is very, very pure and clean. Um, that's nothing like it. I mean, you're waking up a lot. You, your sleep is very, very fragmented. Even a good night's sleep is fragmented. So the idea that we need to sleep in multiples of sleep cycles is wrong what we need to actually do is we need to go to bed when we feel sleepy sleep for the amount of sleep that our body needs and wake up naturally that's that's it that's the only way we can do it sleeping in in multiples of any time is is going to be hugely inaccurate i mean even even if you did accept it was, you know, the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes, that's inaccurate. It's actually 95 minutes. So after five sleep cycles, you're 25 minutes out anyway uh, with this 90-minute idea. So it, it, it's, it's a foolish way of thinking. And, and again, it's a way of worrying or becoming concerned that you haven't got this, you haven't got that, you haven't done the other. It, it is, you know, if you wake up feeling awake, alert, uh, and focus doesn't matter what you did during the night. Right. So one of the along that uh, that was all great insight, by the way. The, the along that the the layperson will often say that I don't want to use this medicine or supplement or whatever because it's going to affect my sleep cycle. Is there any validity, just in a broad sense, that medications can can alter the cycle? No, not not at all. I mean, the only the only medication that could potentially have anything to do with cyclicity in that way would be something like melatonin. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, no. I mean, sleeping tablets or supplements or, or herbal remedies will not affect your sleep cycle. What they do is they put you to sleep and to a degree keep you asleep. So they allow what you naturally can have 
to happen, if, if, if that makes sense. If your sleep is disturbed, it's because things are disturbing you. If you take that disturbance away, then your natural sleep pattern is able to happen. Um, melatonin, we know, isn't a sleeping tablet. It's what we call a chronobiotic. So it can reset the timing of sleep. And because of that, that may affect uh, the, the, the cyclicity of sleep, but not in a not in a, a profound way that you'd you'd have to worry about it. All right, great. So let's talk now about the the different bins and like uh, a little bit more to help people understand how to best manage all of this. So in the in the group that I have difficulty falling asleep, um, what's the prim primary cause of that, and and like what's the best therapeutic answer for people here? In this day and age, I think this is the thing that's becoming more prevalent because of the inability to to basically turn off at the end of the day and wind down. It's something that we don't do. I mean, there are, there, there are pre, three things you need for a good night's sleep. One, which is a bedroom conducive to sleep, so dark, quiet, cool, comfortable. One is a relaxed body. But the most important is a quiet mind. You cannot fall asleep if you're worried, stressed, ruminating, thinking about things. You can't do it. So you have to quieten your mind. How do you do that? I don't know. Uh, I know what I do. <laughs> I, 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 I read every night. But that's me. If you want to do mindfulness, if you want to drink chamomile tea, if you want to do yoga, if you want to listen to Pink Floyd really loudly, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you quieten your mind. Now, of course, there are you know, ways therapeutically of quietening your mind and, and you know, herbal remedies like valerian and passiflora and hops have been used for centuries to, to help with anxiety. The, the, their effects on sleep are not huge, uh, but their effects on anxiety have been documented and of course if you reduce anxiety that should make you fall asleep better um the you know the, on the sleeping tablet side you have you know any sleeping tablet will put you to sleep uh, that, that that's, that's what they're designed to do the z drugs uh, you know zaloplon zopiclone um uh, things like that they will uh, you know be out of your system relatively quickly so they they may uh, you know, put you to sleep, but they're certainly not going to keep you asleep. They're going to be out of your system within four hours or so. Um, and again, the the uh, the OTC, uh, the antihistamine uh, drugs, um, you know, they have a mild effect, uh, mainly again through through being an anxiolytic, being helping with anxiety, and um, you know, they're designed for short term. Uh, you know, seven to 14 days so so you know to just get you over whatever is troubling you but really you know stress release learning how to wind down and relax and, and doing that um, uh, is, is you know is the key thing for those people uh, you, you know it, it, it's it's not rocket science and it's something we've forgotten you know we, we are far too busy we're seduced by the flashing lights of the internet or or the streaming services and you know the CEO of Netflix said his biggest competitor is uh, a good night's sleep, you know, and, and that's, that shows the cynicism of them. Um, that, that's why there's only 15 seconds between their programs. So you don't have time to cognitively disengage from the program and think, oh, I should be going to sleep. You've been suckered into it. And that's a relatively cynical thing. And, and, and Really, nobody seems to have called him out on that, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, well, because their shows are awesome. Have you watched Stranger Things? I mean, geez. <laughs> yeah, but that's the problem. <laughs> I grew up in the days when you had to wait a whole seven days for the next episode of a Yeah, I don't know. Program. Well, I'm glad that we waited seven days in between each of the last Game of Thrones episodes. I'm still not over that yet. And, <laughs> you know, um, so let's. You had mentioned some of the um, uh, the over-the-counter supplements, and I'm really glad that you said what you said, which is they're not helping you sleep; they're helping you quiet your mind. And this yeah. is really a battle of that for the people that have difficulty falling asleep. Now, let's talk about melatonin because a lot of people believe that there's some sort of different approach with melatonin and it's a different compound altogether so talk about melatonin and, and its role in, in helping people fall asleep <laughs> i am completely against melatonin 
<laughs> You're anti-melatonin. I didn't know that such a position existed. Anti-melatonin. I mean, the book came out in, I think, what, 1994, The Melatonin Miracle, which at the time it was the anti-aging, better sex, better sleep hormone. Okay. Um, the anti-aging and the better sex thing got rather dropped quite quickly, and we yeah, stuck I, with the sleep bit. I um, mean, I, yeah, I'll take all of that. Actually, all, all of that sounds. <laughs> but great. if he could do that, I would. I'd. I'd, I'd want some of it. But. Uh, <laughs> but I think the the problem with melatonin is, um, you know, in America it's available everywhere. It's a food. It's a food supplement. In the mm-hmm. UK, it's on prescription only. It, it, it's oh. a tightly controlled drug. Uh, this happened about 20 years ago. The government said if melatonin is, does what it says it does, then it's a medicine. It's not a food supplement. And that's that's the big difference between the UK and the USA. The USA, as I say, it's available everywhere. Now, the problem with that is that it's not under FDA control, which means it can have everything or nothing in it. Um, and and uh, the, that's the problem. You have to know that there is actually any active ingredient. And the problem is melatonin does not have any long-term safety data because it wasn't ever developed as a medicine, so it didn't have to pass any of the the tests that a medicine would have to do. So you don't have to prove that it's safe to take. Now, melatonin affects all clocks in the body, everything from menstrual cycle to development in children. It is all affected because melatonin messes with the master clock. Now, Fred Churek, the guy who discovered melatonin, um, says we're carrying out the world's largest uncontrolled clinical trial. And there's somebody who spent uh, their whole professional research career doing clinical trials. I know that melatonin is, as I say, people say melatonin must be safe because you can buy it over the counter in America. But you can buy handguns over the counter in America doesn't necessarily work that way just because you can buy it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's safe right um and this is this is my worry with melatonin is that one it's about dose and time the timing of the dose the dose for melatonin the therapeutic dose that people sell is the widest for any medicine ever it goes from nanograms up to grams and the mm-hmm. timing of melatonin Uh, administration is so key because if you're trying to use melatonin to shift your sleep forward by say eight hours as in in a jet lag scenario what you actually might do by taking it in the wrong time is shift your 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 body rhythm back 16 hours rather than forward eight hours and i would suggest that uh, there are not many people in the world who are clever enough to tell you the dose and the time um, that you should be taking melatonin. And I say, because we don't know the side effects, because it's not controlled by the FDA, so we've got no way of picking these side effects up. I think it's been very, very overplayed. It's not a hypnotic. It can't help you go to sleep and it can't keep you asleep. Um, everybody thinks melatonin is the darkness switch or whatever. That by melatonin is the thing that puts you to sleep. It isn't. It's one of the things that sets off a huge cascade of events that results in you to go to sleep. It's the messenger. It's not the thing that puts you to sleep. It's the thing that tells your body it's time. It's dark. Go to sleep. So it's not the the, the messenger. It can reset your your sleep in a jet lag scenario but mildly so a few hours uh, and to be honest there's something a million times more powerful than melatonin which is absolutely free and has no known side effects and it's called sunlight um and it's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) is this the idea of the uh camping uh study where they just just get out in the sun Right. You know, humans spend 90% of their lives indoors now. Um, right. You know, get out there. Yeah, we're dogs. We have to run, you know? Like, yeah. we have to get out and get those yayas out, as one of our yeah. yoga instructors had said <laughs> on the show. 
Um, so let, 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 I'm going to backtrack here. You said, you know, there, there, there's a smart person that knows what the dose and the timing is. Are you such a smart person? I'm if not. <laughs> I'm genuinely not. I don't claim that at all. No, I mean, it is, it is a problem. I mean, there's a great paper that, that came out, um, just last year, uh, by, uh, Professor Joe Arendt, who I, I used to be a colleague of back at the University of Surrey. And Joe was the first person to ever give melatonin to a human. Um, and uh, she, she is you know, probably the guru. Uh, and even in this paper, she says it's expensive and complex to work out when you should uh, give melatonin. And that, mm -hmm. is, that is one of the people who know how to do it. So uh, right. it's still, you know, after 30 years, it's still expensive and complex to work out when you get it. So, so that's, that's the problem, you know, because it's not controlled, you don't know what you're taking, you don't really have a clue when you should take it, and it probably won't do what you expect it to do anyway. Right. So now let's move on to waking up in the middle of the night. Um, I have always like had a close relationship to local sleep experts and sleep specialists, and they always told me if somebody comes to you and says, I have a problem waking up in the middle of the night, you can't help them. This is something that's normally a medical problem and they need to speak to a doctor. How much of that is true and what should people know about insomnia where they're waking up in the middle of the night? Okay, I mean, that, that, that is relatively true. Uh, as you can imagine, there are things, uh, medical causes that will wake you up in the night, uh, without a doubt. Getting up to needing to go to the bathroom, uh, pain, uh, breathing issues, uh, hormones, sleep apnea, uh, hormones. You know, waking up hot if you if you're going through the menopause. Those things will wake you up. Now, of course, treating whatever that medical condition may be may result in getting a better night's sleep or not waking up. But that's not a guarantee because the thing that wakes you up is not necessarily the thing that keeps you awake. If you think about it. Everybody thinks that they wake up needing to go to the bathroom, and that's what's woken them up. The bladder is somehow distended to such an extent that you have to wake up. But actually, that's untrue. Um, there was a, a study uh, two or three years ago that shows that most men wake up for a different reason and only then decide they need to go to the bathroom. And actually, I did a study about 10 years ago now, showing that men wait up to 30 minutes before they go to the bathroom. Yeah. That was not what woke them up. They woke up for another reason. They lay there and they thought, maybe I'll just go just in case sort of thing. Um, so, or you wake up, uh, you know, you're snoring, you wake up, and then you start worrying. And then, you know, if you're worrying in the middle of the night, then it's the same thing as worrying at the start of the night. You're not going to get back to sleep. So it is true that medical problems are a major cause of middle of the night awakening, but it's not true that it's the thing that it's the only thing that's going on. And as I say, um, you know, the advice about, you know, if you've been awake for 20 minutes in the middle of the night, get up do something else, go back to bed when you're sleepy. There's no point lying in bed getting ever more frustrated about the issues um, of not sleeping. You know, you're, you're, you start hating your pillow, you hate your duvet, you hate your mattress, <laughs> and you hate your bed partner because they're lying asleep and showing no empathy towards your problems at all. Um, so, th so there is that issue. Treat the medical problems. And, of course, if you're getting up more than once a night to go to the bathroom, that's a serious problem, and, and you should be seeing your your doctor about it. If you are um, having problems breathing, you know, chronic snoring or, or, or sleep apnea, again, you should be going to your your doctor. Hormones in, in, in women, again, see your doctor. And pain, um, you know, you should be treated effectively for your pain by your doctor. But as I say, that the anxiety, the worry about getting back to sleep is something that's, of course, amenable to you know a mild sleep aid that will just help you you know calm your mind as we mentioned before and getting back to sleep 
Right. So we had talked about natural disturbances and how they can cause you to wake up in the middle of the night. And, you know, the heavy duty sedatives can like just make you ignore those. So one of the things I deal with a lot are new moms that are still like three years after waking up at three in the morning because they were trained to do so for so long while their kids were uh, growing. What does that person do? (laughs) <laughs> this, Besides this kick is, the kids out of the house. <laughs> well, this is the, the the big problem is, of course, um, you know, from from an evolutionary point of view, the woman is there to protect the child, and the man is there to protect the woman, the mother, and the child. That's that's mm-hmm. the way it works. The man deals with geopolitical conflicts. And the mother's there to look after the child. So we know that mothers are acutely sensitive to the noise or the behavior of the child because that's their biological uh, programming. That's the way we've evolved. So the issue is that you can only feel, you can only sleep if you feel, feel safe and secure. And that's both for the mother and for the child and um so a mother will be listening out for the child and the child will be wanting the connection with the mother i.e you know the the physical connection so for many many thousands of years the mother slept with the baby um and you know co-sleeping still happens in many many countries including japan where the majority of mothers co-sleep with their children but the 25 i think right well absolutely i mean (laughs) i i I have i have um in the uk we have a lot of young uh, female general practitioners from from india and the indian subcontinent and when i lecture to these people they come up and say you know how you know, we, you know, we we co-sleep with our children. You know, even into the into their you know late ten-year-old, eleven-year-old. Is that a problem? I say, well, no, it's not. It's perfectly natural. We've been made guilty about this. And the the, the issue is, if you co-sleep with your child, and of course there are dangers if you do it on the sofa, and if you are obese, and if you're an alcoholic, and if you're smoking. But for the vast majority of women, sleeping with your child means your child knows it's safe. It's got an easy access to food and you are monitoring the child completely. You can hear its breathing. You can hear its heartbeat. So you're not having to come up to awareness to attend to the child. And the only reason we moved children out into nurseries was because in the Victorian era, Victorian men wanted to have more sex with their wives. And so they kicked the child out into a nursery and installed themselves into the bed. Thank God Um, for those guys, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, um, I actually sleep separately. I'm a great advocate of separate beds, but yeah, but but that's that's the reason. So women are are not aware of where their child is, and so they have to be um, alert and are therefore disturbed. You know, three years. I mean, I would say that until your child is six years old, not to not to expect as a right that you will be getting a good night's sleep. Um, so you may not want to co-sleep with the child, but at least put the crib into the bedroom and have it on the side of the bed next to the mother. So there can be some there's some awareness and, and some security in that uh, for as long as the child um, as long as the child needs it. I mean, a, a child waking up and crying will do that for only a few reasons. It may be hungry. It may be scared. It may be uh in pain, uh, very, you know, no woman can tell you the difference between those cries. The child is crying because it can't speak and it needs your love, it needs food, and it needs your reassurance. If you were to wake, if you were to be sitting at home crying, sobbing your eyes out, and your partner ignored you, you would be really annoyed with them. So how do you think a child is when they're ignored by their parents because of some fashionable idea that you're meant to let children cry it out um it's it's a nonsense absolute nonsense so moving on to the next bin well that's all very insightful i had triplets by the way so you know what the problems are i know yeah like so i uh let it 
let them cry it out was uh, just a natural kind of state of things in our house because there's only two of us and you have to play like zone <laughs> defense at, at, at times. So moving on to the people that are waking up too early, is there a strategy there or should they just get up and go about their day? I mean, again, it's, it's difficult. Um, it, it depends whether they're a morning person or an evening person, if they're a lark or an owl. I mean, I, I personally am a, a very strong morning person. So if I'm awake any time after about five o'clock in the morning, I will get up and I'll start working. because There's no point going back to sleep. But if you're an owl um, and you wake up in the morning, you, you potentially are going to miss a lot of that deep restored to sleep. The cardinal sign... Um, for waking up early um, is depression. And so that is a, a key thing that you need to ask anybody about. What's their mood like? Uh, mm. Have they noticed a change in their mood, which is concurrent with them waking up early? Because, say, depression is a big, big cause of that. Um, there can be sort of more prosaic causes. I mean, we're all coming into summer now and, you know, right. the birds are, are singing and the light streaming through the curtains and that sort of thing. So that's that, that might be possible that you're waking up because of that. But for most people, that waking up early in the morning, I say, if it's not about depression, it's it's about that, uh, that sort of uh, doing that mental calculation, isn't it? That if I go to bed, if I try and go yeah. back to sleep now, actually, I'll only have an hour of sleep. And when I wake up from that, I'm going to actually feel worse than I did if I didn't have that sleep. Um, so yeah. I would I would suggest that, uh, again, it's like anything with, with any awakening or any any period of being awake during the night. It, it's down to, does it matter? Yeah, if, 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 you, if you get up, um, you know, you wake up at five o'clock in the morning, you get up and you learn a new language or you, you go to the gym or you, you, you go for a nice walk, you take the dog for a walk, ever, and it, 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 you know, life's good, then it doesn't matter that you've woken up early. If you woke up early and you're all alone and you feel scared and cold and miserable, then you know, that's not a good feeling. So it's about what does that do – you, do you resent being awake? That's, that's the key thing. If you don't resent being awake, then get up. If you do resent being awake – and look at strategies that, again, can help you go back to sleep. Um, and, again, it's about that anxiety and worry. That's the only thing that at that time of the day is keeping you awake. Is there any information about the, the science behind that depression and early rising? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's there, again, this is one of the long-held uh, truths of sleep, that it, it's one of the cardinal signs in, in the diagnostic manuals that, you know, if you if you have somebody who continually wakes up early, the thing to suspect if you discount the uh, you know birds and mm-hmm. lights and sunlight, yeah. is to, and sunlight is depression. That's mm-hmm. that's within the diagnostic manuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like no mechanism that we've uncovered that. No, that well, causes... I mean there there is there is actually. I mean what happens is the the uh, there's a shift in the sleep phase in depressed people. Uh, essentially, if you think that most people have five sleep cycles during a night, then a depressed person actually misses the first sleep cycle. The the, the, the temperature nadir and the, the uh, shifts, so they miss the first sleep cycle. So they only get four sleep cycles, and once they've had their four sleep cycles, uh, they wake up. So they're, they're liable to be waking up around an hour, hour and a half before, and, and this is one of the the, the, the sort of things that people don't really realize that there is actually a shift in the timing of sleep in depression, not a shift, not a not an effect on the sleep, if you see what I mean. If sleep cycles aren't affected other than the fact that you missed the first one. So that's why they wake up early. Got it. So we were talking about lots of different strategies and, you know, here and our, our American associations around sleep talk about sleep hygiene all the time, which just sounds like a bunch of rituals to kind of calm your mind and set your brain up for sleep. Um, it sounds like you do a little bit of the leave it to beaver scenario where you have separate beds. What are some like sleep hygiene related things that everybody should be doing? Well, I mean, sleep hygiene is a set of rules. I mean, essentially, they were codified back in the 70s, um, and they've they've ever changed. There, there seems to be – well, I mean, on my Twitter feed, which is at DR Neil Stanley, uh, I've got the largest collection of sleep tips ever gathered. I post a sleep tip a day every day, uh, and today it was 2,280 sleep tips. Uh, so, wow. Um, 
So there's a lot of nonsense out there. Uh, and I say a lot of things are under the bridge of sleep hygiene. And if you actually look at the science, sleep hygiene in and of itself doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. Because essentially people have no idea. You know, do you do all 10 at the same time? <laughs> do you do one a week every yeah. week? Well, how do you do it? And and some of them are, are, are you know, are prescriptive, you know, avoid alcohol. Well, you know, small nightcaps never done anybody any harm. Avoid caffeine after, well, some people say midday, some people say two o'clock, some people say three o'clock, some people say six, say six o'clock. But if you've been drinking two strong black cups of coffee every night for the last 40 years and you've just developed a sleep problem, I can guarantee you it's not the coffee. And giving up the coffee is only going to make you feel worse rather than better. Right. So, so, the, so basically sleep hygiene is basically your nanny telling you what to do mm. um, rather than actually getting the idea of what you should do. So this is what I said earlier about the three things you need. Mm-hmm. A quiet bedroom, dark, quiet, cool, comfortable bedroom. A relaxed body. Well, of course, you've got to have a relaxed body. You've got to wind down at the end of the day and then a quiet mind. And it's whatever works with you. And every single piece of sleep advice is derived from those three bases. Whatever, you can put them into one of those three bits. Um, so it shouldn't, as I said earlier, it shouldn't be complex. It should actually be very, very easy. The biggest thing about getting a good night's sleep is seeing sleep as important. Important. I do a lot of workplace well-being lectures and you know, people complain about working long hours and having long commutes. And I say, well, yeah, that might be true, but it's your choice to binge watch something on a streaming service. Right. Nobody's making you do that. And you're only doing that because you think that is better than getting sleep. So if you don't see sleep as important, you're never going to do those behaviors that are going to be conducive to sleep. You're never going to spend the money on a decent bed or, you know, buy blackout blinds or whatever because you're not going to see it as worth it. So see it as important. See it as a good, as a positive. You know, there's no better feeling than waking up after a good night's sleep. And there's no better way of going through a day than having had a good night's sleep and yet we go through a day feeling a bit rubbish right because we don't want to get a good night's sleep and yet we're probably eating organic food and <laughs> jogging um, right so taking we, we, every supplement under the planet to do healthy stuff but then not prioritizing and this is why we tell people uh you know we feel wellness the, your best life is achieved in a pyramid kind of structure and the bottom is all of the lifestyle interventions and sleep is the third thing i talk yeah. about every time you know Absolutely. And, and this is this is it. They've cracked the market on exercise. You know, people spend a fortune on gym membership. They'll pay a fortune for a pair of running shoes and running clothes and all that. People will go and pay more for organic food or, and, 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 and whatever. But they're not doing the one thing that actually doesn't require you to spend any or that much money, which is getting a good night's sleep. And, you know, you are fighting with one hand tied behind your back. If you're trying to diet or eat healthily or you're you're trying to exercise, if you're not sleeping well, those are two things will be suboptimal. The more sleepy you are, the more craving sugary, fatty foods, the less you eat vegetables, the more you season your food. And if you exercise when you're sleepy, you have a 75% increased risk of getting a sports-related injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sleep is about motivation. So if you want to eat, so, you know, if, if, if you've got a sleepy pe- sleepy person in front of you, you put a chocolate muffin or an apple in front of them, they'll go for the muffin every time. They may take the apple home, but they'll eat the muffin there and then. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, this is why, as I, say, as I say, being involved in sleep for 37 years, I remember the days that we used to scare people uh, sort of innocently. We used to mention Chernobyl, Exxon Valdez, Bhopal, Three Mile Island, Challenger. Those are the things we mentioned. And then we realized that that wasn't working. Um, and this is the idea of sleep well, live better. That, that's it. It is it, four words. That's all you, you know. If you get good sleep, your life will be better. Now, I'm not going to say it's perfect. I'm right. not going to say you'll live to the 100, mm-hmm. but it will be better. Yeah, that you won't be so cranky. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> better has got to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, somehow, 
the flashing lights, you know, the internet, the streaming service, the 24-7 hour is more seductive. And we're, we're, we're basically like teenagers with a new video game. We haven't yet set parameters and had a grown-up relationship with maybe it's not good to stay up until three o'clock in the morning binge-watching Game of Thrones. Maybe right. that's, you know. And, and one of the funniest developments in the last couple of years has been this idea that we all need an alarm clock to go to bed. Are we mm. all three years old? <laughs> We're adults. We know that we should be going to bed because we've got to go to work tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, we, we've rather infantilized the whole thing. And we, we've it's within ourselves. It's our choice to prioritize our sleep and it's our choice to do those behaviors nobody's stopping us nobody's forcing us not to sleep we choose that and the simple advice is choose the other way choose sleep so lots of great information there i want to talk about the misinformation and quackery advice part of that so you were talking about how you put out all this great evidence-based information, keep it nice and simple, everything fits into kind of those three buckets of this is what you need for a good night's sleep and everything's derived from that. And I ask my staff before I have any guests on what kind of questions you want to ask and you better believe the list was like all the (laughs) stuff that you're talking about. So does your sleeping position make a difference? Do I have to do breathing exercises? Um, Is it possible to catch up on lost sleep? So all of the stuff that are like the titles of the blog articles uh, seem to be what people are saying and, and what you're saying for our listeners here is swat it all away, and just focus on what really matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, one of your questions, does sleeping position matter? No, because you change position 12 to 20 times a night. So the mm-hmm. position you fall asleep in and the position you wake up in is not the position that you sleep in. You're moving all the time. So you do not need a pillow that is mm-hmm. designed for a back sleeper, a front sleeper, or a side sleeper, because that sort of person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there was a study in 2016 that shows that 30% of people who claim, for instance, to be a back sleeper actually do not fall asleep on their back. So people don't know what position they fall asleep in, uh, and they certainly don't know how much they move during the night. So all of this is, is just, is just again, is marketing. And the, the problem with, with a lot of all the sleep apps, uh, all the sleep devices, and many of the mattresses, uh, they make these wild claims, and there is not a shred of scientific evidence to support their claims. So they pretty say much that, all those gadgets and gizmos are garbage. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I won't say they're garbage. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is they haven't proved themselves not to be garbage. <laughs> um, you know, and seemingly the bed area is one place that you can say anything you like uh, about, you know, we'll... This will guarantee you a good night's sleep. No, it won't. It will make you sleep deeper. Prove it. Simply prove it. Do a clinical trial on it and prove it. If it's in the scientific literature, I'll accept it. If not, you've just made it up. And, you know, we know this. I mean, there was that legal case against Fitbit a couple of years ago that was settled out of court, which said basically the Fitbit cannot measure sleep in the way it said that they can measure. So they were they were done for false advertising um, on that. And, you know, it was settled out of court with Fitbit paying uh, compensation to those people who'd bought a Fitbit on that basis. So, you know, all of these big companies, they talk a lot about it, but there is no evidence to show that. And and the worst type of this is in the mattress field. There's now this bed-in-the-box craziness that somehow, you know, that having a mattress delivered in a box is somehow convenient. Well, that may be convenient for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to be convenient for the next 10 years that you sleep on it. Right, because it ends up being just a cardboard box after a few weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and so, again, these people are making wild claims. Oh, we're going to sell one mattress because that's all we need because that's been scientifically designed. And then a year later, oh, we've come up with another better mattress. And then a year later, oh, we've come up with another mattress. Well, surely the first one that you'd put all that science in, which was the ultimate mattress. So it isn't the ultimate mattress then. (laughs) So you were telling 
untruths perhaps maybe or a little exaggerations yeah exactly but this is the problem because it's now a sexy area people are being told you must have this in order to get sleep and if you don't have this there is no way you could possibly sleep the bed in the boxes i'm not saying they're bad mattresses what i'm saying is that the primary design criteria is not your sleep it's whether it can fit in a cardboard box. And the apps and the and the devices, I wouldn't recommend a single one of them. Um, because I say, without science, it's just, you know, a, a fool and his money is soon parted. Right. A couple more questions and I'm going to let you go because I've, I'm, I could ask you a million questions here. I've got a lot uh, on my list. But um, so what kind of patient needs a sleep study done? A sleep study needs to be done on a patient if, I mean, the, the, the most obvious one is if there is a, a suspicion of sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. uh, sleep apnea, essentially, if your bed partner tells you, you you're not breathing during the night or you stop breathing during the night, you have sleep apnea. You don't need a diagnosis. What you do need to know is finding out how severe it is and, and what the cause is now, how it can be treated. A lot of a lot of patients who go into a medic, a general practitioner, almost certainly won't need a sleep study done because it's going to be lifestyle. It's going to be short term insomnia that will naturally resolve itself. Um, but if you if you do have a problem with your sleep that lasts, as I say, or, or occurs the majority of nights in a week for two or three months, it's worth going to see your physician and it may be worth, I mean, there are 96 recognized sleep disorders in the International Classification of Sleep Disorders, third edition. Um, it may be worth an investigation. I mean, it's a bit like saying, you know, who should go for an x-ray? Well, anybody you suspect as having a, a fracture. So if, if somebody suspects that you have a, you know, a chronic sleep problem or a sleep disorder, that's when to have a full uh, sleep investigation um, and, you know, and, and look at the results of that and see, you know, you, you can't you can't fix a problem until you know what the problem is and you won't know what the problem is until you measure it. Right. Great. So let's leave on a very American note. Uh, I know you're from the UK. Uh, we uh, speak the same language. I don't know if you have the same obsessions that we do. But we are really obsessed with marijuana right now. Everybody's going a little nuts for weed over here. And uh, CBD is a huge uh, trend that's uh, blown up out of proportion, I think. And it's pretty pretty nuts. And it's very helpful. So do you have any opinion or uh, thoughts around CBD for sleep? Uh, and do you feel it's uh, it has a place above or below the current options that people have for sleep products? Um, I wish I could answer that definitively. Mm -hmm. However, the scientific literature is confused, to say the least. Um, <laughs> half the papers that come out say it's the best thing ever, and half the papers say it does absolutely nothing at all. I think there's probably something in it, but I think it goes back to the what we were discussing around melatonin and, of course, other supplements uh, like, like the herbals, like valerian and that, because they're not controlled, we've no idea what's in the bottle. Right. So how much of any active ingredient is in there, we have no idea. So, yes, one, you know, brand of, of well, I, don't, I was going to say one brand might work and another brand might not. It might even just be one batch of one brand works. Right. Um, so, again, going back to what we were saying about a relaxed mind, we know that CBD probably does help anxiety, you know, calming, and that will, of course, help sleep. Whether it directly has an effect on sleep per se, I can't tell you, uh, and the science can't tell you. And then it, it comes down to if you think it works and it doesn't have any side effects, what's the problem? And that's what you can say to any of the any of the uh, things you might use to help you go to sleep. If it doesn't have side effects and you believe in it, then it works. 
one last thing before we go, Doc. A lot of people are going to take all your tips and you're going to start to implement them. What is a reasonable uh, expectation for these things to quote-unquote work and for the people to feel uh, better because of the tips and information you've given them? You'll just feel better. You'll be happier. You'll be healthier. You'll have less rounds with your partner. You'll be a nicer person at work. You'll feel more energetic. You'll have more motivation. You'll feel mentally sharper. You'll be able to solve problems, etc., etc. You'll eat healthier. You'll want to go for a run. Life will just become just a little bit better. Uh, and that has to be a good thing. A little bit better you know, compared to the way most of us lead our lives, a little bit better isn't a bad thing to aspire to. And it might be quite an awful lot better. Um, right. So I, I think, I mean, it's like everything. Listen to your body. Listen to how you feel. If you feel great with what you're doing, then don't change a thing. If you don't feel great, try and change something. And if it makes you feel better, stick with it. Dr. Neil Stanley, that was a very great interview. Uh, lots of information, very dense, helpful tips. And more importantly, I think a big dose of reality. I mean, I'm going to actively change my practice and my recommendations just from talking with you. And I'm hoping my listeners will change their perspective around sleep, uh, especially around the obsession about sleep. I think that's probably the biggest golden nugget to take away from this. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And I, I can't wait to talk to you again someday. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks very much. That interview was probably the most dense, eye-opening one hour of information I've been a part of. Dr. Stanley's views on sleep have literally changed my practice. For me, the most important thing that I learned was about the three things that you need to fall asleep. I've been calling them the sleep trinity around here. Basically, you need a relaxed body, relaxed mind, and a comfortable environment. And the best part was how he said that all of the stuff out there on the internet and in magazines and everything is just a derivation of those three rules. So they really are like the most simplified version of what you need to help help you fall asleep. And, you know, I've been pumping the brakes on melatonin recommendations after talking to him. And until I speak to his uh, pal, Joe, the researcher on melatonin uh, and the guru, I'm definitely like holding off until uh, we hear from her on the proper use. Um, uh, also, we hosted a webinar on sleep using a lot of the information Dr. Stanley shared with me here. So visit our webinar page at woodstockvitamins.com slash webinar. For more of Dr. Stanley, buy his book, How to Sleep Well, where books are sold, but make sure you support your independent bookstores, just like your independent pharmacies. His website is thesleepconsultancy.com. So T-H-E-S-L-E-E-P-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-C-Y.com. Uh, he's very active on Twitter. His sleep tips are great. His username for that is at V-I-S-P- R-I-N-G tips, T-I-P-S. So V-I spring tips. And so that's it for this time. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, keep listening, keep learning and be well.